that your story matters and that you matter. And to the degree that you dig into your story and understand it and understand how you can serve other people with it, that the richer and more beautiful your life will be. And um, if you don't feel like there's anybody there that believes in you or appreciates you or you don't think that's possible for you, know that, that I love you, I believe in you, and you've got this, now go get it. Here's the million dollar question. How do men like us reach our full potential, grow into the men we dream of being while taking care of our responsibilities, working, being good husbands, fathers, and still take care of ourselves? Well, that's the big question. In this podcast, we'll help you answer those questions and more. My name is Brent, and welcome to the Fallible Man Podcast. Welcome to the Fallible Man Podcast, your home for all things man, husband, and father. Big shout out to Fallible Nation. You guys make this possible, and a warm welcome to our first-time listeners. My name is Brent, and today my guest is award-winning serial entrepreneur, author, and keynote speaker, Matt Schaup. Matt has been featured in publications like the Huffington Post, Fox Small Business, and the BBC. We're excited to welcome him here. Matt, welcome to the Fallible Man podcast. What's up? How you doing? Man, I'm, I'm excited about today's show. I've been looking forward to this one. Uh, and we've, we've had some great conversation before the camera started rolling. But Matt, I like to start on a nice, fun tone. So we have a silly question at the beginning of the show. All right. Ooh, I love it. Let's do it. Let's do it. So the question of today's show is, how many times a day does the average person laugh? Is it A, 7, B, 11, C, 13, or D, 5? Five. Five? All right, guys. Now, you know the rules. Don't jump ahead. Don't try and cheat. Don't look it up. Make your guess. Wait for the show. We'll get back to that one. Now, Matt, I don't do big accolades. I don't do big blow. It, it's annoying. People, nobody, nobody cares, right? No. No. Today, in your own words, who is Matt Schaub? I'm a Jesus follower. I'm a husband, a father, and I'm an entrepreneur. And that's just what I do. That's not who I am. So all the things I do on, on the bio, uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, Black Belt, I love Spain. I'm a Spain fan. Uh, but I, I wake up and I live my purpose is to inspire others, specifically men in the business space, to own and live their life and business with excellence. And I just get to go do that every day to wake up share my story and the lessons i've learned from it the good bad ugly and make men better in business all right see you're and you're the perfect guest to be on my show aren't you you we have some similar we're on the right place right right yeah you came to the right show but matt what is a talent you possess that some people might find silly a talent i possess so i used to be able to fold my ears in to my ears and flip m ms out of them but I have cauliflower ear now from jujitsu, so I can't do that anymore. But it's funny because I've never seen anybody do that. And I was teaching a kid in jujitsu class and he comes up and he goes, look what I can do with my ears. And I, go, I used to be able to do that. So that was just a, just a fun thing that I wish I could still do. Uh, well, you know, you, you, you did trade some good for some good. So, right. Jujitsu has been a very fulfilling part of your life since you took that. Yeah. Uh, I was oh, yeah. enjoying that story in your book. So. You know, it's a trade-off, right? We we can't stick with flipping M and M's out of our ears forever. No, as as I grew up, it became less and less um, interesting and amusing. But I'm I'm also fluent in Castilian Spanish, mm -hmm. and even more so, I'm practicing my Southern Spain Andalusian accent of Spanish. It's just a very unique way that they speak down there. So when I go down there, or I'm here, and I bump into somebody that maybe from Sevilla, and they're here, mm -hmm. and you speak Andalus, they're like. What are you doing? So, so that's fun. It's a fun part party trick. Well, I I'd love to say that at 43, I wouldn't think it was great that you could flip him and him inside of yours. But at 43, I would still think that was hilarious. So, <laughs> <laughs> now Matt, what purchase of a hundred dollars or less have you made in the last year that's had the biggest impact on your life? I just started reading the book, The relentless elimination of hurry is it the relentless elimination of hurry i don't know why i keep forgetting the first word it's either relentless or ruthless elimination of hurry uh and it's an it's an amazing book it's written by a christian pastor who was just just dying as he was growing these churches and i read the first two pages and i was hooked and it's really given some perspective it, it's a life changer because it's literally right what i'm going through right now man that's when, when you can get it in that that first page or two, 
when when they got you, it's like wow so mm -hmm. someone that that was a relentless elimination of hurry sarah yep, just saw it pop up perfect thank you sarah <laughs> <laughs> she, i told you man she takes care of us i i, I couldn't She's on it her. on it uh no i i've always like that hook right on, on a book or on even on a social media post that, that there's an art form to that to grab yes. that instant i've got it right so that's always a good sign yeah. for a book well and i and i i always look at a book through the lesson within the book but then being an author I've, I've written two books the first one i had no idea about a hook and a story and you're writing it for the reader all the components and then when i did uh, painted baby i really learned that i worked with a great team of, of, of a publishing company and people that really made it a great book and i'm really proud of it and i'm getting feedback from the message and, and they say that they're like the first i was hooked and i wanted to keep reading and when i read that i i message him. I go, what a, he's just a great writer, great writer, and a really important topic because we all face it. It's a Christian-based book from the Christian perspective, but you don't need to believe or follow Jesus to know that you're busy and it's just killing you every day. Right. There, there are just some things that are incredibly universal and, mm -hmm. and good insight is good insight no matter where it comes from. So yep. now what is the weirdest thing you've ever eaten? Because I know you travel. Okay, so first thing that comes to mind, that there's two things in Spain. One's called morcilla or morcilla. It's a blood sausage. So it just looks like a dark black chorizo, but it's blood sausage, pig intestine just mixed up. And it's not that bad. It's just the thought of it. But then I tried pig ear, um, oreja, like a pig's ear, and it was hairy. And it was just weird. <laughs> so, but I've never done anything crazy like eating crickets or snake, live snakes, anything like that. Spain's got pretty basic food, a lot of seafood, things like that. But those would be the craziest. A friend of mine recently came back from uh, a mission trip in Mexico and he brought chili crickets home. Ooh, yeah, I've never done that. Really, really like spicy chili crickets. Uh, it was interesting. I was like, I'm not going to back down now, right? There's big group do it? eyes. He's like, you got to try it. I was like, yeah, I'm going to try it. It wasn't bad. It was just crunchy, right? If, if you can. Was it so it spicy? Was it, it so was, spicy you didn't know it was a cricket? No, but the cricket didn't have a lot of flavor. Like it was yeah. like a, a crunch or, a, you know, a, like a really solid, like bite into nut kind of crunch. Mm -hmm. uh, we just know like there was nothing hard to chew afterwards. Okay. But it wasn't like slimy or anything. They were dried. Okay. And then, but there was so much, yeah, there's so much like ch chili and habanero on it. Uh, I, I have a really strong stomach for that. We live in a town that's 90 plus percent Hispanic. Oh, got it. Okay. Yeah. And my so, friend so actually, coming across that. Yeah. My friend actually makes artisan hot sauce here in town and sells all okay. over the country and all over the world now. He's international now. Phenomenal, but I like I I down habanero hot sauce and everything. So. I can't I can't do spicy. I'm weak. I'm weak at the spicy. You know, I never did it until my friend started making it because I'm always just overpowered, right? I don't want spicy yeah. for spicy sake, mm -hmm. but his maintains the flavor all the way through the heat, and the flavor yeah. is just so good. That okay. Try. Well, we're off track. So you're, you, I saw you take a drink of your coffee. That is actually the next question. Tell us what is Cafe Seville? Yeah, so Cafe Seville. So this all started as I lived in Spain in college 20 years ago, fell in love with the country and the culture and everything about it, came back stateside, and I was debating whether I'm going to go back and start and have a life there or stay in, in the States. And I stayed in the States. I met my wife, got married. We start going over to Spain every year, and I love showing it to the family. I'm going with my daughter in a few weeks and I love the way they drink coffee. So they drink something called cafe con leche. It's coffee with milk. That's how it translates. So it's almost in between a cortado and a small latte. It's just a couple shots of rich, bold espresso with steamed whole milk. That's the traditional way to make it. And, you know, proportionally, you can make it a little stronger, a little weaker, but I would go to Spain for our, our trips, our vacations, and I'd bring an extra suitcase and just fill it with this brand of coffee that I loved. For me, initially, primarily, because I'm addicted, man, it's it's bad. I do need to get help for that. Um, <laughs> so I'd start bringing it back, and then a friend would come over, hey, try the Spanish coffee. And 
there's no such thing as Spanish coffee beans. I just call it Spanish coffee. It's how they drink coffee in Spain. And they said, bring me some of that back next time. So that turns into gifts for friends, gifts for clients. Then I went to Amazon, started buying boilers, and it became really costly. Uh, the aluminum boilers are not as healthy, they say, to boil and drink water out of than a stainless steel. So then COVID happens, and I can't go to Spain, can't bring coffee back. The coffee that my friend was now shipping me, Angel, uh, who's a big part of Cafe Sevilla, he's shipping these big packets of coffee and customs is cutting 30% of it open because that's how you hide drugs. Yeah. And I'm like, there's gotta be a way to figure this out, make this easier. So we found out the beans are from Kenya and I'm like, huh, where can I get Kenyan coffee beans? And my friends from Kenya, his family has a coffee farm. So we literally buy a 160 pound bag right from the farm. It gets directly shipped. There's no other hands in it, right? It goes to a local roaster to a gentleman I trained Brazilian Jiu Jitsu with years ago, who's a coffee expert, coffee roaster, his name is Diego. So it's locally sourced, ethically sourced, locally roasted. And we've created Cafe Sevilla out of what happened one day. Somebody was in here trying the coffee. And I said, hey, would you like some coffee? And I gave it to him. He goes, man, you know, can I, how much is this? Because I had the little bag set up and everything. And I go, I don't, I don't, I don't charge for coffee. I'm not, I'm not in the coffee business. I got too many other businesses. I just want to do this for, for fun. And he's like, well, I'm going to leave a tip in this jar. Find something good to do with it. And... In 2007, we started a scholarship at Colorado State University to send students to Spain. It's an endowment, so it grows. Mm -hmm. There's a, a base of money, and it kicks off interest like a mutual fund. And um, we've sent 17 students. It will be the 18th student since 07. And I go, huh? like, I'm, I just, you know, you have these light bulbs. You connect a couple dots. And I go, hold on a minute. I just love sharing love and the culture of Spain with people. And they just wanted to give me money for this. So how about all the money goes towards the scholarship? So Cafe Sevilla exists to literally show love to people by sharing Spanish coffee with them. And the second purpose is to raise money for the scholarship. So now we've got a Shopify, anybody, anyone in the United States, you can go to matchshop.com, go buy the coffee. It's just part of who I am. They'll ship it right to you. And you're going to be part of a student's life. And I'll tell you, a hundred, like a $100 donation to that will kick off. 5%, $5, right? Mm -hmm. How's that going to change a student's life? Okay. Cup of coffee in Spain's a couple euros, couple bucks, right? So say you, you do that. They can have a conversation with their future spouse, a future employer, a future person that comes into their story. And I know we're going to talk about story today. There's people that have come into my story, Angel being one of them who built this big mural for Cafe Sevilla. And literally you could donate some money that changes the direction of somebody's life in just with, with a with a small little thing and it's just cool it's it's just fun to do and uh we get we have it downstairs we'll have to i'll get some shots for you so you can post it up on the show okay we'll do that Absolutely. sorry it's a little a little drawn out go to if you go to the website oh. there we have a little documentary about a 10 minute where i explain it and it's fun i just uh went to speak at colorado state university's campus uh mm -hmm. at, at a career panel and it was very interesting because they asked me to speak truly about the reality of what I experienced with a foreign language degree. And I shared with them how relevant a degree in a piece of paper was, which really isn't. And I talked to them about the experiences you have or what matter. And some of them were not interested or wanting to hear that. Mm -hmm. And I speak honestly, I said, this world that you live in right here, it's a different world outside. And if you're going to go outside of it, you need to know. And, um, you know, a couple people really shut me out. Uh, and one girl came up to me at the end and it was one of the scholarship students. She's like, the Camino changed my life. I met her before she went. I knew she was going to go. Hadn't heard from her. Didn't know she was there. And there's a photo on my Instagram. If you go check it out and uh, posted a few days ago, Sarah wants to pull it up, but we're standing there and um, changed her life. Crazy, 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 crazy. Okay. Yeah. Now, guys, of course, we'll have links for that in the show notes with everything else. That way you can check out the coffee. Um, Matt was kind enough to send us some coffee to try out. And Sarah's- You didn't like it. I didn't like it. <laughs> it's but okay, I, not everybody like, does. No, it's okay. My wife likes to call me a, a coffee barbarian. Like Are I want- snob? I, I am a bit of a snob. Okay. And I want it to be All good right. coffee, but I also like, I, I drink it with either black or with yeah, I only generally drink dark roast. I don't well, like that. That's your that's your issue. That's your issue. Yeah, we didn't roast it real heavy and hard like they do at say like a Starbucks. We mm -hmm. that's more medium. It's a little more medium smooth. Yeah, 
Sarah, we, we we compromise on the blend we get, but it's it's a dark roast. It's just not the darkest roast I could buy, right? Okay, okay. Uh, maybe I'll roast you a special bag and send it back out. Sarah, Sarah is a medium roast person, and she likes it. But generally, I'm a black coffee, or if I need to spice it up a little bit, I add a touch of creamer. You know, it's, okay. I, I'm not very adventuresome. You can I drop saw. a spicy cricket. I'll see if he has any more. Just a couple shots of hot sauce, you know. Pick it up a notch, right? Now, Matt, what are you most proud of? My family, my kids. I get, I get to see. It's it's hard work to raise a family, and I came from a background where, again, on paper, we'll talk about it. I shouldn't be here talking about running businesses. I should be dead or in prison. I just saw a lot, went through a lot got bullied a lot, didn't have a lot of tools to know what it means to be a man and how the hell am I going to raise a family? You know, I can't even figure out my own stuff. I didn't figure out stuff till later on in life. <laughs> I wasn't that put together and I'm still not um, for a long time. But when I see my son and my daughter at 15 and 12, just out interacting in the community, teaching here at the Jiu-Jitsu Academy, and they come up and say, good job, mom and dad, like those are good kids and good kids are signs of good parents. I'm really proud of that. That's that's something. As a proud father, trust me, I I can totally sympathize. That is something you to be proud of, right? Yeah. When someone else yeah. is going, man, you you're what are you doing with your kids? Because you're doing something right. That's uh that's that's an incredible feeling. So, and then understanding when you do something not right or wrong, and that you can actually have an open conversation with the kids about that. I'm very big into. I work in the space of communication, understanding personality styles, leadership, leadership languages. Hey, take accountability for when, like, I was a jerk to my family just a couple of days ago. I've been running, burning the candle at both ends. And no matter what they said when I got home, I was going to snap. It's just where I was at. And I did. And then I immediately recognized that and just owned it. And they're like, we love you, Dad. Um, my son has this saying. He goes, are you being a dictator? again because i do i have a little bit of that personality style i can bend my thing and he'll pause and dick i was gonna say the the power of a pause for effect right well and that's our that's our thing like we have we have these family sayings and expressions that nobody else would know what they're that one you know but we just have these little things that it's it's our shout family thing and uh that was one that we came up with it's his way to in a funny way when i'm you know, just getting off value of who I am um, to say it. And it just resets things versus like, dad, what's your problem? What's your, what's your problem, son? And then we do jujitsu together because he's good at jujitsu. He, he can choke me. <laughs> Guys, we're, we're spending a little time getting to know Matt. Uh, just so you know who he is and where he's coming from. In the next part of the show, we're going to dive into Matt's story and the missing piece in connecting with people as a person and, and in business. We're going to roll to our sponsor and we will be right back with more from Matt Shop. How well do you sleep at night? Do you toss and turn and wake up more tired than when you went to bed? Sleep is commonly one of the critical elements people fall short on in their life. The quality of sleep you get directly affects your ability to control your weight, your ability to add muscle, your stress levels, and your everyday job and life performance. If you're ready to move to the next level, then sleep has to be part of the plan. Check out our friends at ghostbed.com if you're ready to get your best sleep. I love my ghost bed. I've been sleeping on one for a couple of years and has made a huge difference in how I sleep. Hit ghostbed.com and use the code thefallibleman30 to get 30% off your order and start getting better night's sleep tomorrow. Now, let's go on to the show. All right, guys, welcome back. In the first part of the show, we spent some time just getting to know Matt Schaup a little bit, just figuring out who he is and what he's all about. In this part of the show, we're going to get into Matt's story and some of the missing pieces in connecting with people as, as a person and, and as a business owner. Now, Matt, I feel like we really kind of got to lay some groundwork here. So yeah. before there was Matt, serial entrepreneur, author of an excellent book, keynote speaker, there was Matt, the burnout loan officer who hated his job. Yeah. So just back a little bit before March 2005, because I think a lot of our listeners yeah. can really connect to Matt right there. So, so leading up to that, right, that's 2005, I'm 23, but I go back to leading up to about 10 years old in New Jersey, and I was 
scared, bullied, easy target, not confident, but brilliant little Matt growing up in New Jersey. And I just got bullied a lot on the playground, like by the same girl every day. And I didn't really fit in. I wasn't the sports kid or the popular kid. I was a goofy buck tooth, little guy, easy target, and um, couldn't find really confidence or certainty in a lot of things. I felt scared. And we moved out of New Jersey to Colorado. And literally all the kids I ran around with, uh, dead in prison, disappeared. I would have been a drug dealer. And I say that because at 10 years old, I asked my parents for some money for a boombox. They said, nope, figure out a way to make it. So I grabbed the lawnmower, started a lawn mowing business at 10 years old. And when I saw that validation and that that serving of a, of a purpose, I set a goal. I received what I was looking for and I was good at it. You could beat me up in the, on the playground, but you were never going to beat me at business. So I would win magazine sale contest. I was hustling candy bars at school. That was my thing. I was a marketing and a sales guy. Um, but I didn't know what it meant to be a man. And because of a lot of these experiences growing up, my default emotion was was anger. My default purpose was to prove myself to the world. And the default patterns that I ran were betrayal programs or you got to look over your shoulder because everybody's out to get you and you can only build relationships if you even do so close, but then the shoe's going to drop. They're going to screw you over. So I just say all that because I get into college, work with a college painting company, make a bunch of money with this college painting company. They, they reignited my passion for entrepreneurship, but I spent all plus more of the money that I made that I knew business was my thing, but I'm not going to do the painting thing. So March of 2005, I had graduated Colorado State University. I had the semester in Spain, thought about going back, but then I meet my my wife, Emily, of, we're, we're soon coming up on 20 years. And I'm working at a mortgage banking job that I hate. And the transition from running college painting to what am I going to do? I get married, buy a house, I'm in debt. I bought a house, the guy doing the mortgage, it looked sexy. He was making a bunch of money. I was very driven by money. It was an idol of mine. And the more money I made, the more accepted I thought I would be or purposeful that I thought I would be. So I'm just hating life at this job. And I'm coming home every day and <laughs> talking to Emily. Hey, I'm plotting my escape, right? And I'm going to do it on my own terms and my own time. And I walk in Tuesday morning. They bring in a new bank president. And he's calling people in his office to meet everybody. And uh, three, four people come in. And then he calls me into the office. I go, great. He's going to, uh, Chad's going to meet me. So I walk into the office, he's leaned back in a big, big banker's desk, suit and tie. And I say, hey, nice, nice to meet you. I'm Matt. And he does this. Put all your shit in the box. You're fired. And I look at him. What? He leans in, cinches up his little banker's tie. So maybe you should go back and do that painting thing. And they threw me out of the bank. I'm standing in the parking lot with all of my professional belongings in a box and I have to make what, $2,800 in 28 days, literally just, just got kicked in the nuts. Um, and there, there I was, and I had to come home and have an answer for Emily. That was my first thought is, you know, there's, there's all these emotions, these negative emotions, and I'm starting to get emotionally hijacked. And then I stand there and go, okay, what am I going to do? I need to have an answer and be able to do something to support the family. So I jump in the car, drive home. I called a few painters that I worked with in college painting. So I didn't tell Emily first. I said, hey guys, give me 30 days and we're gonna get back to work. Because one of these painters told me, hey Matt, you're not gonna like that banking thing. They're gonna, they're gonna fire you. This guy's funny. He was an older painter, uh, years older than me. He'd been doing it a long time. He goes, you're not really a banker guy. You're mortgage Matt. He's like, nah, you're gonna get, you're gonna get fired. And I called him and he's like, what are you doing? I said, hey, you remember that thing you told me? He's like, I told you so. They fired you, didn't they? <laughs> and I said, hey, you know, we're going to go do this. Um, I drive home. It's noon-ish. It's lunchtime-ish. And Emily's home. She was working part-time for like nine bucks an hour at an adult respite care facility. And um, she was paying some of the bills, but we couldn't pay all the bills if it wasn't for, you know, what I was making. And it was the typical, like, honey, I'm home. <laughs> She said, you home for lunch? I go, yeah. She goes, you're home for lunch a little early. I said, yeah, permanent lunch. And we had a quick conversation. I don't remember a lot of the conversation, but I was pissed, man. 
F, F this guy, F him and I send him an email. And she's like, Hey, what are we going to do? What are you going to do? You're, you're a doer. You take action. And I said, I'll, I'll be back later. We're starting a painting business. And I took the last hundred dollars that we really could spare. And if I could have opened the bank account with less with $50, it would have been $50. And that was the founding of M&D painting. And I went out and I picked one method that I knew would generate me business. And that's all I did. And everything was on the line. And again, remember that I'm, I'm pissed off. This guy just betrayed me, right? He just reconfirmed my belief about the world that what I found out 10 years later in the business just sabotaged me every day in my leadership. But that's how I built a multi-million dollar company in five years, being just, just mad and totally not self-aware um, and, and, and lots of other things. So that's a little bit about me and the story and some of the underlying things that men need to explore and understand about themselves to become better men, especially in business, because your business will only grow to the degree that you do. And if you don't know what's going on, like if you can't pull back the curtain and the layers and look at it, you're just gonna bring whatever you have, good and bad, serving and sabotaging into your business. Okay, let me let me pause you right there, because I, I wanna- Thank you. I, I wanna stop for, for one second right here, okay? make one one point guys okay so in march 2005 he gets canned right now some of us can sympathize with that we've been through this you launched your founding business what really catapulted you down mm -hmm. this road yes with a hundred dollars yes which today is an eight-figure award-winning company so for everyone out there who identifies with being burnout with hating their jobs Sorry, six figures. I'm just doing the math. I'm, I'm like, oh, it's cool. No, we, we do. Yeah, we do seven figures a year to date. We've done, yeah, 30, 40 million dollars okay. worth of painting. We do about two and a half million a year. Okay, so seven figures a year. That's still, honestly, we're like, you know, shooting at the wind there. It's like, uh, okay, yeah. there's not a huge, but for everyone out there who identifies as burnout in their jobs or hating their jobs, because yeah. I know I've lived through that for a long time, I, I want to clarify this. Was it magic or can anybody go, you know what? I'm taking control. I'm going to do it. I don't think there's magic. So there's something always to be said about having the right place, right time, right skill set. Those things align and things happen. So I had four years experience running a painting company. So I call it the, the JV experience, right? Like I didn't just show up to the, to the ball game and all of a sudden the champion, you know, cause I can't, cause I came out of nowhere in the painting industry. They're like, who's M and E. And then it, 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 it ruffled a lot of feathers, but I was working and learning the business. So there was that, but you can do whatever you want to do in life and you need to decide what you want. And then a should needs to become a must. And, then, and there's a way to do that. There's a, there's a framework to do that. I had my back up against the wall. I know now, and I didn't realize then that I thrive in that scenario. Some people die in that scenario. So I, like I'm putting my, my back against the wall right now with the business I'm in now, because I thrive in it, but you have to follow a set of frameworks and protocols. If it's a business, ACDC is a uh, framework that Mike Michalowicz talks about in his book, Clockwork. It stands for attract, convert, deliver, collect. It's the four pieces of business, right? Keep it simple. He keeps business simple and simplifies things. And I was really good at attracting business by knocking on doors and then selling the jobs. I suck at painting. I suck at process. I suck at systems. I suck at delivery. I can't paint. I, I don't keep the books balanced or in order, but I leaned into my superpower. So if somebody's watching this and they're, well, how did, how did you can tell you exactly where the hundred dollars went and how I, how I built it. If somebody wants to know that, but you can do it. And many times the voice in between your own two ears is the loudest, most negative one that tells you you can't. I like that you recognized your strong points and you focused on doing that and bringing in other people to do your weak points, right? Mm -hmm. You went, yeah. this is what I'm good at. So this is what I'm going to do. Now I got to find people who can fill these positions. And <laughs> well, I and, and I don't always paint. Yeah. I'll I bring my painter coffee. So I love, I just, I've always drank and, and loved coffee. One of my painters, he, he had a same coffee every morning, you know, caramel crunch coffee, I'd bring it out to the job site. 
and he's out there painting, you know, painting the house. And I'd say, hey, let me pick up a caulking gun real quick. And he's like, put that, put that down, go sell jobs. You suck at caulking. And then I, or I'd get called out on a job to do final touch-ups, right? So when you paint a house, the, the crew tells you it's done and maybe the homeowner's not home. You send them to the next job and they say it's done, right? Homeowner gets home five o'clock, you go do the walkthrough. So I would go do the walkthrough and there's a punch list. There's always a punch list, right? And then I pick the brush up and start, you know, start, just do little, little stuff. And I just created a bigger punch list. So, so don't, don't create bigger punch lists in your life or your profession or, or whatever that is, if we're using the, the paint job analogy. Okay. So in your business, you had an encounter that kind of laid the groundwork for where we are today with stuff mm -hmm. and changed a lot. So tell us a little yeah. bit about Bill and the painted baby story. Yeah. Yeah. So I have always loved and been a student of sales from the first door I knocked mowing lawns to every business that I ever had. I've been directly front-facing involved in the sales. The college painters really helped clarify a process. And that process that we learned was very old school. The, the Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, always closing, don't take no for an answer, hard driving sales. And I was good at it. And it works. I don't think that's the best way to sell. But that's how I sold and part of that is you share the, all of the features and benefits and why you're so amazing, why you're so excellent. A plus five-star shiny marketing brochure. And we're, let's see, six years in the business. And I'm sitting across the table from a customer of mine. His name's Bill. Self-made guy, very successful, huge mansion on the golf course. And we had done small paint jobs for him. He's very direct. And I realized this. So I go in, we have coffee, we sign the deal, paint the job, and it's done. And I'm sitting though with him about to close the biggest business deal of my life. It's $60,000 job. So perspective, it's 20 times the size of the normal $3,000 paint job that we, that we did. And I was excited because I was really burned out in business. I was doing too much and too many things and, and really getting pulled away from the family. But this job would allow us to bring people and resources and just to free me up a little bit. So I'm going I'm to close this deal, right? Which clothes am I going to use on Bill? So I sit down, we do the normal coffee thing, and I ask him for the business very directly. And he said, no, I'm not ready to do this. And it kind of caught me off guard. So this objection handling tennis match, we go back and forth. And the more I'm trying, the more I'm painting this picture of perfection and reminding him about the A-plus five-star shiny marketing brochure, his reviews even in it. I'm opening it up and showing him the review. He picks it up, throws it across the the office, this shiny marketing brochure goes, your shiny marketing brochure is crap. Tell me about a time you screwed up and what you did about it. And uh, he, he froze me right in my tracks. Nobody had ever asked me this before. You don't earn business that way. You don't build relationships that way. You have to be perfect. And um, I sat there for a minute and he said, we're, we're not doing this till you tell me something. I go, all right, we painted the wrong color on a house once. And he could have cared less about that. So we painted the right color. We painted it on the wrong house once. And when I said that, he leaned in. I had him hooked. And he said, you did. Tell me about that. Tell me more, he said. He had no, no one's ever said, tell me more, when I was spewing and selling and telling and puking all over with the feature benefits. So I share it with him. And he still doesn't sign the contract. I'm like, what do you want from me, Bill? He goes, I just feel like you got something better. And I said, fine. We painted a baby once. Okay. You want to hear about that? And he, he kind of stops dead in his tracks, leans back. You did what? You painted a baby? What the, what the heck? I want to hear about that. So I shared the story of three years prior to that. We're on a job site and a pair of brothers, Bloss and Raul, they were painting a bunch of houses for us. They'd worked with us for a number of years, two brothers from Mexico, and we both speak each other's first and second languages opposed. So we spoke a lot of Spanglish together. And I'm 20 minutes away from a job site. Raul calls me. I miss a bunch of calls. I finally call him back and he's screaming hysterical. There's a woman screaming, baby crying in the background. And he says, my bail, my bail, come quick. I paint the baby. And he hangs the phone up <laughs> and uh, speed over to the job site. And I pull up to black paint covered everywhere, up and down the driveway, all over both painters. I follow the trail to the backyard and the paint sprayer exploded all over. We, 
Raul's getting ready to spray a door. It was a one in a million, never had happened, nor will happen again. We don't really know why. Paint sprayer blew up. Mama's standing there with nine-month-old baby because she had brought the guys out, drinks and snacks. She's checking out the job. That's just who she was and what she did every day. And that happens all the time. Now they're covered in, in paint. So we painted a baby. And I can't believe, so I'm telling you this story, what, a decade later, and I've told this story to hundreds, maybe thousands of entrepreneurs all over the place, right? But I can't believe, can't believe I'm saying this to him, but he's engaged, he's, he's responsive, he's hooked. I'm taking him through this experience. And ultimately what he wanted to know is, it's one thing to say that I'm trustworthy or my company has a core value of excellence, integrity. But when did I ever really get to show that to him, right? Nothing ever went wrong on the job. And I'm taking him through and literally transporting him into standing right here with me. Just imagine this, right? He said, well, what did you do about it? And I told him what we did about it, how we systematically processed through the triage, made sure everybody was okay, baby was okay, and, and had to clean up a mess. And it cost us money. It cost us time. It was a lot of work. It wasn't planned for. It was hard. It was difficult. And that tested what we stood for, which was we're always going to do the right thing, right? And, and you say this with all the shiny marketing brochure, but it's never tested until stuff goes bad. And uh, I said, hey, clients ended up being happy. They were forgiving. They were, we laughed about it at the end. It wasn't funny when it happened. And I didn't think that, that it would become a book. I really, I, I had no idea. I'm just like, like we're going to go to jail. Our business is going to get shut down. Imagine if the, the competition hears about this. And he's so Bill sticks his hand across the table, shakes it, signs the deal. You're the kind of guy I want to do business with. And my mind was blown. I, I didn't get what was happening at the time I do now. And the thesis is that painting a picture of perfection prevents true connection. We live in a society where everybody does it everywhere you go. We over promise and under deliver with who we are, what we provide, and everybody's posturing consistently with each other. And then we don't meet this expectation and then turn around and beat ourselves up because we see it all on social media, right? Get this, this dopamine fix. And you're like, but I'm not that person. I can't, you know, we were talking about podcasting prior. So I didn't get the downloads or whatever, right? And then you feel bad. So you just strive for something that's unattainable. And, I, and, and the thesis goes, hey, what if, like, what if business is just about showing up? as who you are, the good, the five-star, but the imperfections, the skeletons in the closet. And you be vulnerable and you be brave and you share that story. And then you use that story as a way through a process of storytelling and, and structuring things into a sales process to build real connection and trust. Because when I did that, the conversations he and I had moving forward changed because he would open up about things that he had never opened up about before. Just show up who you are, imperfections and all. To show that you're human, show that you're real, and people will see that and respond to that, and you'll dive deeper with them. And then that deeper connection is where the real trust is. Because there's the, I know you like, you trust you, sales pitch. Oh, okay. That trust is like, okay, I don't think he's gonna steal one of my kids and drive off kind of trust. But then that, you know, what if something, what if a $20,000 accident happens? And um, I went out and I tested it. I'm, I'm very scientific at times with this can't just be for your listeners or for me, a fun story. I, I went out and I tested telling this story in an experiment where I controlled everything else I was doing in sales. And then I interjected this story at different places and times in the sales process. And it raised our closing rate 10 to 12 to up to 15%. And then I was able to translate and transfer that process to the team. So the hard dollars and cents was a lot. And it then made business just easier because we weren't setting this level of business that you just can't and don't attain. Make believe. It is, yeah. And it's like, I, and I love marketing and marketing poppy and oh, like we're in this, right? We're in this space and we're talking about how does somebody come and, you know, how do you hook them? And but so much of it that spits out at the end is bull crap. There's, there's not real, there's not real guys. There's not real businesses. And I can see through it now. I have to, I wrote the book about it, right? I got pitched by a mortgage guy the other day and I just, I wanted to hang up on him because it was just fake and, and it was, and I knew it. And he kind of lied a little bit about how he got connected to me, but that's his pitch. And I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to shoot straight with him. <laughs> 
And I did. I said, hey, thank you for the call. Appreciate your work. And here's because he didn't. He just thought I was a realtor because he found me in the realtor database. I said, who who talked to you about me? And I could tell that he didn't know that I speak or write or anything like that. And I said, hey, my my lender that I work with in real estate is my best friend. And if that ever didn't happen anymore, that would be a bigger problem for me personally than business. But I, also, I already have seven lenders that, that I'm really close with. And um, so you don't have a chance from a sales standpoint. I'm sorry, but you have a great pitch. And I said, just go to my website and um, see if anything that I do can help you. And he reached out to me because he watched Painted Baby. And he's like, I loved that. I wish I would have done that before. And then he got a little vulnerable. And, and I sent him a video with some tips and uh, we, we built a deeper connection. So I hope that changes his approach and style of doing business because you get lost in the shuffle. Everybody's saying the same crap in the same way uh, that's always the you know trying of reading through your book one of the things you pointed out right everybody's trying to be a little different right that different is better yeah, yeah. right yeah that's so many times guys before we start tearing into how this applies to your life okay we got to take a break here uh mass been just drawing an incredible picture for us but guys we're going to take this a step further because you know how i like to do this I want you to understand how this applies to your life and what you can do with this, the kind of power this gives you to connect with people both personally and professionally. So we're going to roll to a sponsor and we will be right back with more from OutShop. Now, before we go any further, I wanted to share with you guys, I don't always tell you how much I love doing my podcast. Like I passionately love what I'm doing. And one of the things that makes my life better as a podcaster is to work with a company like Grow Your Show. Grow Your Show is a one-stop podcast do it all. Now, I use Grow Your Show for my marketing, but Grow Your Show is literally a one-stop shop. You can record your episode and just drop it off with them and they take it from there. It's amazing. If you are interested in picking up podcasting as a hobby, or maybe you're looking to expand your business and use podcasting in that aspect, talk to my friends over at Grow Your Show. Adam will take care of you, I guarantee it. I trust him, he's my friend, he's my business colleague. And I wouldn't trust anybody else with my show. All right, guys, welcome back. In the last part of the show, we were getting to know Matt's story and what what really was the secret sauce that helped him change his business as he looked at business and people from a different perspective. And in this part of the show, we're going to get into your very most powerful tool, guys. And that's not an eloquent way to say it because I'm not an eloquent guy, but seriously, your most powerful tool. Now, storytelling is quite possibly the oldest art form in the history of man. Our histories were passed down this way. The great stories last for thousands of years or more. We surround ourselves with books, shows, movies, and every other form of storytelling you can think of. My daughters love it when I tell stories. They like the real stories. They like the made up stories because they're younger. They still like daddy's stories. They love to ask me about my scars. Your story has power and it's uniquely yours. Matt has learned a thing or two about how powerful that story can be and how that you can apply that to your life as a person, as a business owner. And we're going to dig into that. So Matt, before we get to dig in, I got to say it was Dirty Pool in chapter 10. The story about Haley helping with the, do- at the accident scene with the dog. Yeah. Oh yeah. my goodness, as a father, like I instantly teared up. I'm like, oh, is- right. I got two little so girls. So proud of her. That's so just- proud of her. Yeah. That story is great story. Kind of Dirty Pool, man. That, that, that hit the heartstrings so hard. Yeah. Uh, I might have, I might have been trying to do that a little bit. You know? <laughs> yeah, so yeah. Well, I was like, you know, there was there's some strategy there, but at the same time, it's like, wow. Like I, I instantly teared up a little bit. I was like, man, that what a what a moment as a father, right? Thank you for sharing that. So the the backstory is I'm writing the book and I'm sitting with the publisher and we're we're working through that the point of that chapter is to talk about that that leaders go first. And part of a good book is you don't want it to be too many of your stories or you know, you want to have a good balance of stories and other people's stories. And I was really debating, do I keep this in here? Do I not keep it in here? And then Dave Sanderson's story follows that. That's your leaders put themselves last mm-hmm. and, and it all tied together. But it almost, it almost, we were questioning whether it went in the book, but you and a few other people that I've recently talked to love that, love that story. She still gets, she still gets emotional about it though. Just, just going back to it. You know, she's 12 wow. now yeah. and um, she, she loves being on the cover. She loves being on the cover. And uh, she's like, come on, yeah, chapter 10. She goes, chapter 10 still was a crazy day. 
Yeah, yeah. And I'm not going to spoil the whole, but guys, wow, that, thank you. You're going to love that part when you get to the book. Now, Matt, in chapter six, you, you help focus on helping people find their story because everyone's got a story, right? This is, this is something people struggle with, uh, is believing they have a story. So you, I love that you dedicated a chapter to helping people like understand, yes, you have a story. It has value. Tell our listeners about the power of their unique story. So as you already said, right, the story is uniquely yours when we're in business or, or maybe you're trying to, you're, you're not a business owner and you want to date a nice, nice lady. Okay. You're going to have a pitch. You're going to have a story in business. We have to attract somebody with something. And there's all these $99 programs out there that tell you, you know, hook this and a lot of them, but it's not unique to you, right? There's a formula, but you have to find what makes you you, what makes you different, what makes you stand out. And there's a lot of ways to spin a product or a service or whatever. And I did that with painting, but nobody has your story. Nobody has what you went through. And the more that you can go back and explore it and be self-aware of what you learned from it. And then the biggest thing in business is the lesson you learned from it. How did it make you better? But then that's how it made you better. How does that serve your customer? And you can't do that when you're being perfect all the time. So in chapter six, I talk about the first C in the three C's of storytelling. So there's actually six C's of brave and vulnerable storytelling. In the previous chapters, I talk about getting called out, considering, and then committing to change. That's the three C's of changing your story. Chapter six is capture. So capture, craft, communicator, the three C's of telling story. You can't tell a story that you don't know exists or where it exists or why it exists. So it's literally a discovery process, a brain dump that's flying around everything that you've been through at a 30,000 foot view and then around side, upside down and looking at those moments that really defined you and, and getting it out of your brain, your conscious and your subconscious in, in the best way you can, whether it's written, spoken, just literally throwing it all up and looking at it and then looking at it from another angle. It's... Um, it's like cooking a Spanish paella, love to cook Spanish paella. You're just starting to get all of the ingredients and put them out and they're just sitting on this table. And then from there, you need to craft it or cook it, follow a recipe, and then ultimately tell the story. Um, but people don't, I didn't, I never did. I, I never took the time to do that because I was too busy trying to sell and thought I was building relationships the other way. I, I actually want to. For all of you listening, I'll, I'll show Matt. I, I actually have the three season change bookmarked uh, to, to come back to that point in the book. Uh, I was showing him that on the video. But yeah, I actually have like a, a note in there because I want to come back through that section again because I think there's just so much value there. But one of the things you, you point out is that there's a difference between honesty and vulnerability. So yes. why is it that vulnerability is so critical to a powerful story. The, the difference between honesty and vulnerability, it gets used interchangeably. Sometimes there's no risk involved with one and there is with the other. So I can be, I can be honest with you and say, Hey, I drink too much Spanish coffee. I think I'm addicted to coffee. Like you're not, you're not going to judge me because of that. There's no fear of a broken or missing or different relationship, but I'm being honest, right? So people can be honest but never vulnerable. But it, it's when I tell you, hey, you know, in 2016, after I came back from Spain, I was drinking too much whiskey in Spain. And I can say that now because I've processed through that. But I, I couldn't say that to a lot of people in 2017, 18, if that makes any sense. So so stepping out of that, what are they going to think of me? I'm the buttoned up business guy. I was getting, I was drinking a lot of, in Spain, a Jack and Coke is half Jack, half Coke. And it's a big goblet. Like a king's goblet, yeah. And I drink two, two, three of those some nights at, at dinner with 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 the family, you know. Down to, and, it, and they knew. It. So yeah, there, there's there's a step into that. Ooh, if when I do this, vulnerability is when I when I do this, when I say this, what's this person gonna do? How are they really gonna respond? And then right before you do it, you do it, and you put it out, and you see what happens. And then wait. They had the same thing too, right? They're human too. And then, oh my gosh, they're, we're so relieved, right? So you just expanded your comfort zone a little bit. Now, now we, 
for this because I can I can hear the mental protest. Okay. Guys aren't listening to say now loud, but I can hear the mental protest right now mm-hmm. of guys going, wait, because vulnerability is not our favorite subject. It's, it's not no. something we're a little uncomfortable. No, no, no. no. <laughs> right? But I love that you actually put an entire book in our entire chapter in the book on that. So, mm-hmm. so chapter 11 is called Yeah, But. Yeah, but. And, and guys, I, I don't want to dig too deep into that. But understand for all of the, all of you guys who are out there going, wait, 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 Brent, why are we talking about vulnerability again? He, he planned for this. There, there's a contingency in there. There's a chapter just for us. Trust me. I read it too. It is for you. For <laughs> whoever's doubting it. Yeah. In there just for us who are a little uncomfortable with the whole concept of vulnerability. Uh, vulnerability in business is terrifying. Vulnerability personally is you know a nightmare. But Matt, it's the biggest problem as a host, right? And, and you're finding going to find this out as you dig into being a podcaster. Uh, Matt's yeah. launching, launching a podcast, by the way, guys. So wait for that. And by the time this post, it's out. <laughs> by, by time that when, when this comes out, it's out. Yeah. All right. So go check out Matt's podcast. But one of the things you're going to find is one of the hardest things as a host is like, man, how do I just deal? There is so much that I want to cover out of this and out of your story like mm-hmm. how do i distill that down to one show uh yeah. which is incredible so matt i really want to dig into your application because that's big yeah. for what we try and do with our audience yeah so coming out of this episode mm-hmm. what are the first three steps our listeners can take right now to put themselves on a better path with this practice yeah so the first step that, that I would say, and, and then I'll apply the processes in this book, is to just evaluate your life, break it up into domains, get a piece of paper and a pen, write number one, then write all of the domains, all of the things you participate in. So your roles, your titles, father, husband, business person, community member, and just write yes or no. Am, am, I, am, am I getting what I want? Am I clear on what I want? And am I getting what I want? So am I clear on what I want? Yes or no? If yes, am I getting what I want? No. And just see where you are or aren't getting what you want. And then the second question would be where and if you're sharing stories, to what degree are you being vulnerable in any kind of storytelling in those relationships? And then just overlay that with I I am or I'm not. And this is a hard thing to do because you see, okay, well, Matt did it in this big business scenario. Now he's sharing the whiskey thing on, on a podcast with thousands of people downloading it. I got I got a big thing that I'm really wanting to share and I'm, and I'm scared is write the story out as if you don't need to tell it to anybody. So just write out what that what that story is, what that thing is that is preventing you from getting what you want. So you're not getting what you want in finances and business because you're too busy worrying about what people think, for example, and that is paralyzing you. So when you get ready to ask for the business, you can't because you're worried about rejection. Maybe that's your thing. What is it about your story that, that that's bringing that up? And then write that story out that you would then go tell a client to share where that where that's coming from and be honest with them. I want to ask you for business, but I'm worried you're going to reject me. Maybe that's the example. And then go tell that to your dog or somebody that will, you know, sit there and be your friend, no matter what, go tell it to a stranger (laughs) where there's no, where there's no judgment, just go tell the story. Don't worry about the structure of it. Don't worry about chapters six, seven, eight, just get into the habit of building the muscle of saying things that you haven't been saying that, you know, you need to be saying to someone or something where it's not going to respond with that judgment that you're scared of just so you can start the process. Okay. It's a little scary, guys. I know. I know it is is a little scary because there are things that none of us want to share. Yeah. That make us all uncomfortable. Can I add? Can I add? What like what is that? So everybody's got it, right? I talk about the uh, the eight mile movie yeah. when when Eminem comes up into the final rap battle, and this is a little bit of chapter eleven. But what does the competition know that if they found out and they did a campaign about it, I'd be screwed or what is that about the story that if somebody knew 
it would wreck the perception of who I am. What is, what is that thing that if my wife find out, she might leave me, what, whatever that is, right? It's the dirty little secret that, that I talk about in the book. And what Eminem did in 8 Mile was he stood up on stage and he knew what they were going to say about him, right? In the rap battle. Yeah, you yeah. Read the book. Good scene. And, what did, and what did he do? He goes, hey, here's all my faults and F you. And then he did his rap, right? Uh, the way Eminem does. And then he, he put everything out there that they were going to use against him. And that guy was speechless. He walked off the stage. So think of it in that context. But don't go stand up and do a rap battle on stage. We, we might not be ready for that yet. But what is that thing? Every every guy's got that thing. Right? Like what do we what do we deal with? You know? Are you are you looking at parts of girls you shouldn't be in places you shouldn't be? Maybe. You know, you're hitting the you're hitting the jack bottle like I was, maybe. Whatever it is, maybe it's just something little. I have this fear of taking action and I don't take action. And it's and, and it's sabotaging you. And then go grab I'll grab my dog Romeo. Hey Romeo. He just he <laughs> just just build the muscle, build the muscle. Find other men, find other people that you see doing it, because the other people that are doing it understand it. And if you can go connect with them, say I see you doing this. Um, tell me how you do this. Can I can I do this with you? And will you just not judge me? The the, the people that get it, get, it. and once you get it and you unlock, it just opens up another world, and you just get it once you get it. Guys, we talk about tribe here a lot. It's always saying, find find that tribe. Find those men who you can connect with, those other people that you are connecting with that are your tribe, that are going to respect you. They're going to listen to you. They're going to connect with you. They're going to commiserate with you. And they're going to pick you up too. All right? It's, it's a powerful, powerful gift. And of course, you know, with that, I have to say, there's a link to Fallible Nation down below the show as well. You guys can check that out, our private area, because uh, that's what we're all about there as well. Now, Matt, what is next, right? We know the podcast is coming up, and by the time this airs, it's going to be out. What's next for Matt Schaub? Is is going all in on Matt Schaub. This, this business for me has started and stopped and gotten sidetracked because of my personality style. And as I sit up here and say this, like be brave and take action and don't worry what people think. Like I got to take my own advice in a lot of scenarios. Mm -hmm. And I, and I never put myself in the business in the position where, where it must succeed. And I'm, I'm really finding greater purpose. That's very God driven and God directed of, of helping build up men and business and what that looks like. And, it, and it's a calling. So that's, that's what's next okay. for me. Yeah. How, how would life have been, different if you shared painted baby earlier in your life is this is this the question that that you were going to ask me that no one's ever asked me right yeah if it if it would have been earlier so i started writing the book in 2015 and i didn't finish it i talked about it in the book and i'm glad that it didn't come out the book came out later because it's a better book but if i would have started sharing this story earlier i feel like say i shared it three years earlier and I come to today, I'd be 20 years ahead. I feel like for me that that the exponential way I've been able to grow after I did that, it's not dollar for dollar, right? If it was a year earlier, I'd be a year more ahead. The more vulnerable you can get is this, this huge growth curve. And initially I'd beat myself up because of it, but it just is what it is. And I'm, and I'm not going to do that because that's one of my things too. I'm hard on myself. So you just accept it for what it is. So if you're sitting here, if a guest or somebody that's listening is, is sitting here and they're wondering if they should do this, obviously read the book, definitely read chapter 11 and the, and the painted baby stories in there. And if you're struggling, just email Matt at mattshop.com. Tell me what you're struggling with. I get back to everybody. If you don't feel like you have anybody that gets it, because it's easy for Matt to say, right? Matt gets it. You get it. Everybody gets it. You now have somebody that, that gets it, that you can contact and there's no excuse not to. Guys, we'll have, of course, all of Matt's links. And Matt has some great free tools. We'll have all those links in the show notes or in the description, whatever platform you're watching this on. How many times does the average person laugh a day? You said the answer was five. The answer is 13. No, I thought people don't laugh enough. You know, I was just thinking, it's like, that's why I answered. That. I don't know if I'm average. I don't know that I laugh that many times a day. I got to work on that. 
Interesting. Interesting. So that's not what I thought it would be. Matt closes out with what is the most important thing you want people to hear today from this interview? That your story matters and that you matter. And to the degree that you dig into your story and understand it and understand how you can serve other people with it, that the richer and more beautiful your life will be. And um, if you don't feel like there's anybody there that believes in you or appreciates you or don't think that's possible for you, know that, that I love you, I believe in you, and you've got this, now go get it. Guys, be better tomorrow because of what you do today. We'll see you on the next one. This has been the Fallible Man Podcast. Your home for everything man, husband, and father. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a show. Head over to www.thefallibleman.com for more content and get your own Fallible Man gear.